Welcome to Health Hats, learning on the journey towards best health. I'm Danny Van Leeuwen, a two-legged, cisgender, old white man of privilege living in a food oasis who can afford many hats and knows a little bit about a lot of health care and a lot about very little. Most people wear hats one at a time, but I wear them all at once. We will listen and learn about what it takes to adjust to life's realities in the awesome circus of healthcare. Let's make some sense of all of this. Activists seek to inform and nudge change for the better. Political, social, cultural, healthcare, service change. I'm a patient caregiver activist, learning and sharing what works to make safe health choices and decisions now in this time of pandemic. Activism involves groups of people, communities. Few to no changes arise from a single person. Sustainable, successful community activism depends on building coalitions and infrastructure. A couple of weeks ago, I introduced a new community movement, Person First Safe Living in a Pandemic. We need to build coalitions and infrastructure. Actually, we need partnerships, coalitions, to build infrastructure because we have no funding source. Movements need infrastructure, whether they have a funding source or not. So we seek partners who can offer infrastructure. What is infrastructure? For person-first safe living, infrastructure includes a central point of contact, like a website, channels of real-time and asynchronous communication, real-time like Zoom, asynchronous like Facebook, Twitter, email, and a repository of resources, a searchable library like Google Docs, Wikipedia, Confluence, SharePoint. Coalitions and infrastructure aren't free, even if you don't have money to spend. They require time and energy, people, while hopefully wasting as little time and energy as practical. Time and energy are their own kind of expense. As you might imagine, coalitions bring people and organizations together, aligned for a common purpose, perhaps many common purposes. I will share our coalition and infrastructure building journey from time to time in these Health Hats podcasts. Again, sustainable grassroots change projects, whether they're cultural, health, service, products, or research implementation are all community action opportunities. Today I'm considering the challenge of creating and maintaining a communication platform for our movement. We need places to meet. We use Zoom. It's low maintenance and inexpensive and several participants have accounts. No added cost. We're standing up a website on an existing web host server with room to spare. Next, we need a place for people to congregate virtually and speak to each other. 
we could use the WordPress website with a form plugin. A plugin is added programming bolted onto a website that's ready to register and host people. The upside is that it's cheap and we could manage it. The downside is that we would have to manage it. We received an offer to use a hosting forum platform, the Digital Quality Forum, created by NCQA, the National Committee for Quality Assurance. Let me give you some background about NCQA. NCQA began in the early 1990s to measure and accredit health plans. Accrediting is a seal of approval. I led a project with a behavioral health managed care plan for NCQA accreditation. NCQA developed a system called HEDIS, which measures health plan performance. Little did I think I would be circling back to NCQA as a patient caregiver activist. Who knew? So let me introduce Ben Hamlin. He's a senior research informaticist in the Department of Performance Measurement at NCQA. He specializes in clinical quality, context-specific decision support, and the use of predictive analytics for quality improvement. Ben currently leads NCQA's Digital Measure Roadmap Initiative, which is committed to improving the generation of knowledge tools derived from the process of quality measurement. I'll let him tell you about that work. Good morning, Ben Hamlin. Good to see you. I, I just have to say that I'm looking at Ben Hamlin in the Millennium Falcon cockpit. None of you will be able to see that, but it's it's pretty impressive. So, Ben, how do you introduce yourself? What do you want people to know about you? Uh, I, I like to be known as a bit of a disruptor. My career has always been focused on the end user of this information. I've been with NCQA working in quality for uh, many years now, and I've really uh, man managed to maintain that perspective through that period of time. Yeah, I feel like I'm a bit of a troublemaker. I'm a bit of a pusher of boundaries. Again, my real focus has been on the quality of the healthcare in the U.S., and that's been an underlying aspect of my career ever since I got into health policy over two decades ago. Okay. So what have you disrupted recently? Recently, the last several years, I've really been pushing to make changes in how people think about quality measurement. We have had a technological revolution globally. And healthcare is, it tends to be sometimes is a little behind the curve in terms of taking advantage of all the opportunities this technology allows us to make our lives better. I've really been trying to open people's eyes to now that the quality measurement establishment has demonstrated successfully that quality is important. All the rules for Obamacare or the, the healthcare reform all involved quality, value-based care involved a, a major aspect of quality. So we've been very successful in making quality a primary concern because we haven't kept up technologically with the things we could do better in quality now that we've got it as, a, as everyone's in front of everybody. It is an extraordinarily complicated thing. There are many moving parts. There's many people involved. It's hard to 
remove the human factor from quality. We shouldn't necessarily do that. We just need to put the humans where they can take advantage of this without removing them entirely, because obviously in healthcare, we're treating humans. So we want to make sure that we never lose that perspective. And that's why I'm talking about the end user of, of this technology and of, of these quality information, this knowledge that we generate from doing quality measurement. That end user is a number of people, but the people I think people are most forgetting is that patient is really the end user of that information because we're telling them how to get better healthcare and how to how they might improve their quality of life. Okay, so I'm not hearing the disruptor part. Well, it's people don't like change. And the quality measurement establishment uh, is well established. Hmm. Much of the rules of how we do it are actually built into federal legislation, which as it takes a lot to change. Hmm. I'm really pushing for some fairly radical change. The quality measurement environment has been built up on a retrospective report card-like model that presents you with dashboards and report cards at the end of the process. But that doesn't help you provide better care to patients thinking in a forward thinking type. Right. It's a rear view mirror type. It's a rear view mirror. Oh, I should have done better. Maybe I'll try harder this next time around. The clinicians and the patients are too busy involved in the day-to-day care to really try and think on top of what they're already doing without that. That knowledge is helpful, but unless you're really motivated and you have a lot of resources available, it's Mm -hmm. not going to help you, I think, thinking forward. So really trying to shift the entire quality measurement environment to be a tool that is helpful to provide people who are really busy and avoid the information overload. And we can winnow through volumes of data using this technology and the quality measure specifications that are guiding that data to where it's most useful, when it's most useful. need to be updated to do that better. They're not very efficient right now. They still require, they're still very clunky. They're mm-hmm. very, I call them medieval. I'm looking to really a renaissance, an age of enlightenment, I call it in quality measurement. And we're still using medieval specifications, but trying to deploy them just by automating them, which is kind of steampunk if you, you, know, if you yeah. want to use a, an analogy. One of the things I think about quality measurement and all this data is often it feels to me like it's not the right data. It's the data is claims data, electronic medical record data, which is for me in my life, it's, it's like misses the boat. That's a challenging thing to disrupt. Yep. And I'm not saying that we should lose that data. Like I said, we should use it. It is a valuable source of information. Both of those two sources are, but they're not the only sources of information, Mm -hmm. right? We are generating ourselves volumes of data every day through all of our interactions, wearables, home uh, health monitoring devices, even things like patient assessments that you can do on your iPad at home, tracking. If you track Mm -hmm. your weight, you track Mm -hmm. your physical activity, you track your diet. Your symptoms, um, yeah. You, you could track your symptoms. You can also track all these things using these tools that, pe- that clinicians use when they see you in the office. They'll you know, ask you questions and record these things and sort of generate a, a view of you. Mm-hmm. We can do that on our own and help with our own self-management by providing how we're feeling today and what we want, want to do differently or how we want to set goals for what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not in that administrative data. That's not in that claims data. And, yeah. and it's not a lot of it's in the EHR data either, yes. setting setting care plans with patients is not something typically documented such that it could be reused for some other reason. Mm -hmm. It's in the notes of a patient Mm -hmm. visit and 
a provider and a patient can sit down and review those notes and say, we discussed this last time. How are you today? And what do you want? Has anything changed since last time? But that's, a, that's again, that's a very human interaction kind of thing that the technology can't really help you with. Whereas if you brought in those apps that help check your goals or check your progress against goals on a daily basis, mm-hmm. that might keep you more engaged. That might keep you more interactive instead of every month or every three months, or every six months, whenever you're seeing your provider. The other part that I think fits in with the forward, I think the forward look, linking, but let me just say it and we'll decide, mm-hmm. is that we're, each of us is a, an experiment of one. And we're trying stuff. We're Mm -hmm. trying stuff to help us feel better, to function better, to have more satisfaction in our lives. And the, it always seemed to me that we don't use data to help us understand for these populations in these circumstances, this actually worked. This didn't work. Right. And we've done the research and it seemed A was more likely than B to be effective, but we don't like keep going and right. say, did it really? Yep. One of the disruptive things in quality measurement is in the current paradigm, we distill all of these people into these individual variables, individual processes, individual conditions, right? None of which mm-hmm. are, which at the patient level or with a patient focus are all uh, intermingled. Right. On the quality measurement side, we look at your diabetes separately from your rheumatoid arthritis, separately from your Mm -hmm. asthma, separately Mm -hmm. from your whatever. And we have very narrow focus. And if you don't meet that very narrow definition, you're actually excluded from that measurement piece. So we're actually removing patients who, because they don't meet a very narrow definition. Um, In a forward thinking quality measurement paradigm, you don't exclude patients. You redirect them to a more appropriate path of that's more relevant, a a much more relevant path. And so in this idea of thinking about the individual mm-hmm. and the individual's needs versus what generally a population might do overall, like the 80-20 rule, well, if it's mm-hmm. good for 80% of the population, it's probably best for the, you could assume that it, it won't, it shouldn't kill anybody, but it's probably will give those other 20%. But the reality is we're actually excluding many more patients from our quality algorithms than we're actually including in many oh, cases. that's interesting. Because because they have a comorbid, right? And in the sort of retrospective individual process measurement, a comorbidity confuses that linear algorithm. So what do NCQA, quality measurement and data management have to do with person-first safe living? What bridge links them? I live in each of these worlds as health hat. Plus, I'm a dot connector. A growing number of people in the research, measurement, and provider communities grapple with the logic, ethics, and opportunities present in patient-centeredness. They experience dissatisfaction with the outcomes and spread of their professional work. Proven science doesn't spread or spreads very slowly. Organizations work to improve their measure results. It's like studying to the test, gaming the system. Rather than improve the delivery of care, the measures are meant to influence. Management of big data doesn't consistently lead to healthier populations. So some professionals look outside their professional bubbles wanting to enhance and benefit from patient engagement. 
Ben is one of those professionals. Some of the people, like me, working on this person-first safe living project come from Ben's quality measurement and data measurement world. We speak their language. We intrigue them. They need our perspective, our translation skills, and our networks. Do we need them as much as they need us? Let's see. Let's continue the conversation with Ben. You and I have talked in the group of of people that are looking at safe living in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And when we're thinking about the very, if we start with the patient, the person, rather than thinking about being patient-centric after the fact, we realize that there are characteristics that, that are groupings in COVID that have value. Do you have a pre-existing condition? Do you have dense living, dense working? Are you in a high-risk occupation? Do you live in a hot spot? These are not really diagnosis-specific, but they are natural groupings of people in this crazy circumstance of a pandemic. We don't have the tools to break down our analysis by things like that, that make sense for people. We do, we just don't use them. I think that's- Oh, okay, say more. So all of those variables you've discussed are Mm -hmm. all, again, more data about a patient and their personal scenario. And in that model where I was talking about, as we divert patients down a more relevant path for the quality Mm -hmm. of care, those variables are extremely important in how we define what is that path for you. And all those variables are very important. And we have great ways now of understanding which ones are most appropriate. Because again, this the, our ability to crunch volumes of data mm. and create these, these scenarios that, that match best each individual person's circumstance mm-hmm. is current technology. There's okay. wonderful predictive algorithms, or there's, we call it electronic phenotyping. We create mm-hmm. you based on your data, like how we became our data. Mm-hmm. And, and there's wonderful science around that. And it just takes, it takes a machine to figure out, use all that data to put you down that right path. But we're not doing that really. Okay. That's, that's the problem. Uh, your living situation, your ability to access care, your, yes. uh, your profession, like all those things you just mentioned are all really important variables in that electronic phenotype yeah. of you and what you need. And we can, we have the technology to develop a quality measure that are quality, you know, prospective quality uh, pathway for you mm-hmm. individually because we've got all the science and we've got the technology and the ability and the standards that will allow us to do that. Mm-hmm. But doing that yes. and deploying that into a national quality measurement program, is, there's still a huge right. chasm there between those two things because we're just not, that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying yes. we're not leveraging, we're not using the technology yes, yes, we have. Yes, 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 okay. And we're, not, we're not using those tools. We have yeah. the tools, they're wonderful, yeah. they're really cool. They're for geeks like myself, they're absolutely fascinating. This is why I get mm-hmm. up and come to work every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's frustrating that the, the old paradigm still is what yes. everyone's building their value-based programs off of and what they're yeah. saying. It's patient-centered. There's no such thing as a patient-centered retrospective quality program. It just doesn't exist. It's just not possible. I asked Ben to tell us more about the direction NCQA is taking to improve healthcare that might be relevant for we activists. You'll hear CMS soon. CMS is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and you'll hear about the Institute of Medicine. 
the IOM is now NAM, the National Academy of Medicine. My role now, though, is like, like I said, I'm trying to shift people towards how we do this digitally, but also how we do this better. The prior model has basically been the accreditors come out with their standards and their measures that you okay, have. Okay, hold to on, do. accreditors. So, what are you accrediting, and what does that so, mean, accreditation? So, NCQA accredits healthcare payers who okay. are providing, who basically, uh, you know, your Blue Cross, your Kaisers, your who are membership-based organizations who provide healthcare, who pay for people's healthcare. Okay. And that accreditation is based on a really complex set of standards uh, for how the kind of services you must provide, how you manage your members, and performance is part of that. These organizations have to ensure that the, their members are, are receiving high quality care and they have to report almost 100 performance measures to NCQA every year on their members, which helps us ensure that they, they are in fact providing high quality care. Over the last few years, I've been trying to evolve that into and, and using an organization like NCQA, which has this national program for healthcare accreditation and healthcare performance measurement, is I think personally, and I think others would agree, is the right vehicle to do so because there's the measurement information is used by CMS, for example, is used by many payers in their different programs. It, again, it's a great vehicle to try and make change in, but it is like trying to steer the Titanic away from the iceberg with a, with a canoe paddle. You have to, the big program has its downsides too. Yes, yes. Um, so we have been now trying to do a much less top-down approach to how we think about quality and a much more stakeholder consensus-based approach to really understand how, if we are gonna deploy these radical new quality measures, and how do we ensure that when we deploy them, they really are gonna be those meaningful things that we promise, they're gonna make care better at the patient level, and they're more relevant and meaningful to the individual clinicians who are treating these patients. So we've really developed a new collaboration model that involves obviously the payers who are our primary customers, but again, also, clinicians and patients and, and the vendors of this information, the data aggregators, the states, the policymakers, and mm. you name it. So wow. it's a whole new world. And, and it's, it's collaboration is difficult, but if you do it well and you follow the existing models, it can be done and it can be successful. I actually, before I came to NCQA, I was actually the Institute of Medicine <laughs> two decades ago. But again, it's this idea of you, you bring a group of stakeholders to the table and you together pure problem solve, very specific issues. And on a grand scale, that is, if you're trying to do issue by issue with a group of experts, it's a little easier. But when you're trying to bring in a really large variety of perspectives, such as patients and policymakers together at a table, as I'm sure you all know, being, having been yeah. in that space for some time, yeah. that's where it gets a lot more nuanced. And, and, and so we'd be trying to become the facilitator of those conversations to help our experience in consensus-based development of quality measures into helping people get to this brand new, brave new world, this new paradigm of how we're sort of mm -hmm. hoping quality will become, what will quality become. So it's a, it's a new role for us. Yeah. It's taken a lot of work to help people understand what we're trying to do because uh, they're used to us telling them exactly what to do and how to do it. When you start introducing new things in there, they, they get upset with us because they're like, but, but you were telling us how to do it before. Why are you right. telling us to do it differently now? So it's taken a lot of massaging and a lot. It's, I've learned a lot in terms of how to communicate radical new ideas to the, the, the bigger world out there. It really has been a, a learning experience for me as well. Now a word about our sponsor, Abridge. Use Abridge to record your doctor visit. Push the big pink button and record the conversation. 
Read the transcript or listen to clips when you get home. Check out the app at abridge.com. A-B-R-I-D-G-E dot com. Or download it on the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Record your healthcare conversations. Let me know how it went. So you introduced me to a collaboration space that you're hoping to have different stakeholders, including patients and caregivers, chew on together, asynchronously work on different changes that you're talking about. So why should patient caregiver activists such as myself, why should we be interested in working with NCQA whose primary customer is health plans and can seem remote to us. So what's the pitch there? As I mentioned before, the the consensus model is to get a bunch of people around the table. Um, In the past, I have found that they tend to be within a certain silo, right? There's a lot of different silos in the quality space and the patients and caregivers are certainly one of them. The thing we're trying to do differently are two things. So I think you're referring to our digital community, which is essentially we are leveraging technology for the quality space. We're also trying to leverage these wonderful technologies to help the collaboration piece be much more effective and also to help break down some of those the, the barriers between those different siloed entities and being more inclusive and offering a safe space or a collaboration space um, with a lot of the technologies available to those collaborations, we think is you know is the first step to helping break down some of those barriers. Mm. Each silo has their own very unique knowledge and their own very unique perspectives, and each are equally important in this entire process. They frequently don't understand each other. They may be saying the same thing, but they're saying it from their own version of their own perspective. And I don't want to say we're acting as an interpreter, but we're trying to find ways to create a a common message and ways that they can communicate better. Creating a, a asynchronous, if you want to call it collaboration space or creating collaboration space where Mm -hmm. um, using things like discussion forums and frequent podcasts like this and other Mm -hmm. sort of latest and greatest information sharing to help drive those conversations and that work and also having a facilitator for each work group. It's almost like having your own focus group for each, Mm -hmm. each particular idea or issue, but they're all happening together. And we're also trying to, by participating in all these different conversations, We're also trying to identify things that might be of interest to other groups that Mm -hmm. they might not have otherwise found out about if they weren't collaborating in a space that is being, it's not really monitored, but it's, it's being uh, facilitated by a bunch of different people Mm -hmm. all with one unique idea. And so we're seeding information back and forth and we're finding that to be a real, a big help in our early versions of this. It was very small. It was developed these learning collaboratives where we Mm -hmm. were developing bringing together different stakeholders and doing this on a very small scale. We're just trying to up the scale now and we're, mm-hmm. we're trying to use technology to help us do that so that it doesn't become a management nightmare. I still get back to the, like, what's in it for me? And I think there's so many, like, I agree, connection is important and connection with people who are chewing on similar things and coming from very different perspective is really important. Yep. And there's, there is many forums to do that. 
And with varying effectiveness and tenure Mm -hmm. and reputation, for this, NCQA is new on the block. Not that NCQA is not new, as you said, 30 plus years, but yeah. So again, why... like, yeah. So let me why, tell you why, why we're doing this. So we're, we're not just doing this to be a convener. You know, we're actually getting a lot of benefit out of this too, because like you said, the payers are our primary customer. But again, our actual primary customer are those end users, those patients, but we don't have access to those patient voices mm-hmm. because our we always, we daily work with the, with the payers or we work with the standards developers. So in order for us to have access to that, their perspectives and give them a voice in this very specific environment of quality measure development and all that kind of thing, we're going to use, we're hoping to use this digital collaboration hub to be able to identify what's most important to those, to patients and caregivers, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, we have individual research projects that are working on patient caregiver issues, social determinants, and all these wonderful um, things mm-hmm. that are happening with NCQA in a different division. But facilitating a, a learning collaborative with that gives an equal voice, if you will, to payers, to a policy people, to the vendors, and to the patients and the clinicians, all as a group around a combination of, we want to develop a brand new quality measure around X. Here's what our idea, here's what the clinical evidence says. Here's what our ideas are based on our experience, but we need to know from you, A, whether that even makes sense to you. Mm-hmm. Is this a validity issue? Is this a, as your experience as a patient, would this give you enough knowledge? And having my having access as a researcher to that kind of information mm-hmm. is extraordinarily valuable. Focus groups are not used nearly enough in measure development as a, as a way to get the patient perspective. I love doing them, but I yeah. rarely get an opportunity. So this is my way of doing an end run around that to get a, a digital collaboration community space where right. I can have a focus group and I can ask those questions directly right. to patients, directly to providers yeah. and use that in, as we develop this new paradigm. And like oh. I said, when I say equal voice and equal weight to these voices, mm-hmm. that's where I think NCQA has the benefit because we don't have a vested interest in the payer's right. perspective. Like we don't develop things just for them. We develop things to improve the quality of healthcare and our mission is to do that. And that includes those other people that I don't normally have access to. Yeah. What you've been talking about, why it's valuable to you and NCQA. And if there was a vacuum, such forums. Right. So that would suck patient caregiver activists towards that. That would be one thing. But there isn't. There is Mm -hmm. not a vacuum. Mm -hmm. There's many forums and with varying ranges of effectiveness. And so it seems you're going to have to be way more proactive in terms of being enticing. (laughs) I'm just thinking about my colleagues and and compatriots in this space and talking to them about this and encouraging them to participate. And I'm just trying to Think about well, so, the motivation. Yeah, I should be clear. So first, we're not trying to replace any of the existing conversations or work groups. In fact, we're actually really trying to support those any way we can, too. We've also had some conversations about can NCQA provide a space in this platform for those groups, for example. Mm-hmm. If you need more resources, we're going to try and help you continue those conversations again, because by knowing what those conversations are even happening is really valuable to us so that we can then again understand and invite folks who are having those conversations to either present to other groups in the collaboration space or just do like a podcast like this. And then we will post that in in our resources Mm -hmm. section that we then advertise throughout Mm -hmm. the entire membership community to help people be aware of the conversations happening. And so we're hoping Mm -hmm. that we'll be able to 
to ramp up, support those other works. We don't want to recreate the wheel. We're not competing mm -hmm. for this space. We're just mm -hmm. trying to offer a, a public utility that yeah. will help maybe reduce some of the, the aggravation of trying to make things happen in this space. I think that's really what our idea is and our goals are. This is not a, a competitive model for us. You know, we're a nonprofit company. We're trying to appease our shareholders by getting all the information in one place because I know mm -hmm. that's also not going to happen. We shouldn't replace the standards development community. We shouldn't develop the, the patient care work groups or patient-centered clinical decision support work groups or things like that that are already mm -hmm. happening. But I think there's a lot of connections that could be made. And by just, again, creating a, a uniform platform that people can use that has resources available for people to use to help facilitate those conversations, but also to help advertise their work even. Yeah. So other people in the in this larger community, mm -hmm. I think is is a huge value add. So that's why we're that's what we're hoping to do. Okay. That makes sense. I I, I like I hooked on what you said was creating a utility. Yeah. That makes sense. It is not easy to find effective and friendly infrastructure mm -hmm. to host these conversations. Yep. It varies from fair to not so good. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. What should I have asked you that I haven't? Again, I think the, the idea behind this is that we haven't found the perfect solution for this either. We've looked at other collaboration work and we're trying out new technologies and applications that maybe will help facilitate this work. We'll see what works. We'll see what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And we're going to work with our different work groups. This is a brand mm -hmm. new way of doing business. This is yeah. a brand new way of us trying to support the, the, the healthcare community and, and the quality communities. Things take time to come to fruition and to really get value out of it. But I'm hopeful that people are optimistically seeing the value in this kind of activity. And I hope people have been really on board with changing the quality measurement environment to yes, not such yes. a measurement environment, but more of a quality focused mm -hmm. end user supportive kind of thing. We talk about CDS or clinical decision support, as a quality paradigm, we talk about evidence generation on the fly mm -hmm. in terms of like the, the COVID knowledge accelerator projects and things like that. And mm -hmm. I think it's just, it's really important that people understand we're not trying to undermine what you're already doing. Mm -hmm. um, we're just trying to make things better for you. We're trying to find efficiencies and make mm -hmm. your jobs easier so that we can all get together and improve quality. And, and mm -hmm. you know, healthcare as a rule tends to lag in this space. I understand why, <laughs> but as someone who has, as close acquaintances and, and family members who have health care issues and serious health mm -hmm. issues. It's important that we just kind of keep this, we're all in this together mindset mm -hmm. and really think about the the social aspects of what we're trying to do. I, I probably shouldn't be saying this, but I will anyway, because I can't help myself. But the majority of the digitalization in the quality environment, whether it's the CMS CQM program or whether it's even digital HEDIS, has really been driven by the vendor community, even in the EHR vendor space. The quality aspects they the people who are doing that kind of programming do not have the vision of social responsibility perhaps that an organization like ncqa does so we have this overarching social responsibility to improve the quality of healthcare most of the private companies that are doing a lot of data aggregation they see value in that data because the data is valuable but not in the context of creating a public utility of that data because they have to speak to their shareholders in this changing quality environment we have to think about Again, patient at the center, but what is the best path towards a socially responsible quality program that will help everybody and will help the organizations that are trying to do that keep the lights on? Mm. We have to work. We have to pay our own mortgages. And so we have to figure out, we have to find a model where 
the organizations that really are doing great work in this space can continue to do. I mean, that's going to require a, a lot of federal support. Mm-hmm. It's going to require a lot of private support, public payer partnerships to do this. We all have to bring the best to the table. We all have to support each other, but this is highly complex. Yes, um, it is. And, and there's not, there's a huge amount of money in healthcare, but it's a lot of it is being wasted. I think we can divert some of that to more, more effective solutions. And I think mm-hmm. that's really what we have to try and keep fighting for. So that's my all right. ending message. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank you. Thank you. Sure. That's been, it's been wonderful. Thank you for giving me the yeah, time yeah. And, the, and the platform to, sure. you know, to speak like this. I love my bully pulpit, if you will. There you go. To change. And All right. Fantastic opportunity to do so. so thank, thank you so much. Thank you so much, me. Ben. Take care of yourself. Bye. Bye. Fascinating. I'm intrigued by changing from a top-down to the grassroots patient-centered approach that NCQA is exploring. Yes, giant ships change course slowly. Setting up a small department within a large organization does not mean guaranteed sustainable change, but they're considering and experimenting. As my partner in crime, Laura Marcial, observed, from then I hear the need to get in front of or ahead of quality by focusing on the right metrics, not just reporting them, including bad and wrong data, more efficiently. I hear people, patients, need to be in control of healthcare quality in all of its complexity. I hear that we need to leverage technology to simplify this process while ensuring that this connection between humans and quality is made. The quintessential example here is that outcomes should be a measure, not of life or death, but of reaching some desired goals, preventing comorbidity, or preserving, enhancing the quality of life. To me, this overlaps a lot with both the clinical decision support and trust work we've been doing in terms of shifting the balance back to focusing on the patient by making that piece well understood, defined, and integrated. I also think they share some elements on using technology to support this effort, these connections. In information science, we like to talk about the role technology plays in disruption. It is perceived as reducing human-to-human interaction when it is probably actually increasing it dramatically. This minute I sense that they need us more than we need them. Looking at their digital measurement forum, I see nothing patient-facing and nothing person-first. There's a vacuum. On the other hand, I know and trust Ben. My personal experience with NCQA has been positive. They are a not-for-profit, mission-driven organization. I want to learn more about digital phenotyping. That aligns with our non-scientific persona approach to finding answers to people's questions about safe living during COVID-19. I'm about building coalitions, and we need help with our infrastructure. I approach activism as I approach pain management. It's a never-ending experiment. You try stuff, nothing ventured, nothing gained. If it doesn't work, try something else. I'm inclined to bring up Ben's offer of collaboration with my person first safe living team and see if someone wants to manage the collaboration. Again, collaboration is work. 
and my dance card is pretty full. How's your dance card? Have the energy to join us? Let us know at info at safeliving.tech. Onward. See the show notes, previous podcasts, and other resources on my website, www.health-hats.com pod. Please subscribe or contribute. If you like it, share it. Thanks. See you around the block.